Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Numbers 877-381-3811, Herman Cain, we've got a lot to talk about tonight, but it's important. It's important that we remember those who have fought for our liberty and not allow the left to define our heroes. When a liberal or Democrat icon dies, the flags at half mask, there are days and days of remembrance, television programming, speeches, but all too often, when a conservative constitutionalist, a man or woman of liberty, dies, who we revere, it's not even a one-day story. And that's a very sad thing. Herman Cain is a magnificent example, quintessential example of the American dream. Here's a man who grew up dirt poor, and he would later become CEO of one of the major companies in America, and make it a successful company. Here's a man who was in the private sector, and he took on Bill Clinton, and as a result, drew the attention of millions and millions of us. Here's a man who put everything on the line to run in the Republican primary for President of the United States. 
and other African Americans and liberal whites and the media did everything they could to destroy him because that's what they do. And he kept his honor, kept his courage. When you would see him on television, when you would listen to him on the radio, he was a class act. He had a way with words. And he loved this country. And he loved the American people. And many of us loved him. He was a fighter with a smile. Despite everything he'd been through, because he dared to speak out. It could have been easy for him. He could have thrown in with the left, the MSNBC and CNN crowd. He could have turned on President Trump. He could have done all those things. He didn't do any of those things. In fact, he doubled down and tripled down for his country and for liberty. I remember when he came under attack in the Republican primary. And there were very few of us who stood up for him. I remember once he thanked me. The usual pseudo-conservative sites and pseudo-conservative voices. They pile on. Never happens among the Democrats. Never happens in the Democrat Party. There's not a leading Democrat today who will condemn Biden for his bigotry in the past. Who will state that he is mentally incapable of being president of the United States. No, they circle the wagons. The Praetorian Guard media protects them. And so there's quote-unquote nothing in it to defend our men and our women when they're under attack. But I don't view life that way. I don't view life that way. I don't know what happens after death. I don't know if anything happens after death. Many people are very certain about it. I'm not. But you either make a difference in this world or you don't. Life is precious, every damn minute of it. And Herman Cain knew that. Herman Cain knew that. There are people in this country who broadcast, who comment, whether it's social media, on TV or radio, are very, very evil people. They're cold-blooded people. And so they look at this sudden, terrible death of Herman Cain as an opportunity to score points against Herman Cain, against the president, against their political opponents. We live in a very sick time. And it gets sicker by the day. I just, if there is an afterlife, I wish Herman Cain all the best.
and I hope he gets to see my father and mother. They liked Herman Cain too. And we wish his family all the best. And thank you, Herman Cain, for making a difference in this world. And for speaking out, defending your country and defending liberty. You were no backbencher, you were right up front. Always with a smile. Always with a happy comment. Despite what they tried to do to him. And they do to him now in death. Now, I want to talk about this John Lewis funeral. First of all, I want to make a point. Many of our fellow Americans were unable and have been unable to attend or have funerals for their loved ones. Because in certain states, certain governors prevented them. Or they had funerals, but they had to be quite truncated truncated because all the people who wanted to attend to say goodbye to a loved one were unable to. A case that was decided Friday that went all the way to the Supreme Court, five to four decision, where people sued and they said, we have a governor in this state who said that casinos can only have 50% capacity, something of that sort. But in the case of churches, 10%. And the four leftists on the court who stand together, they never bend. Not on the big issues. And John Roberts, who is one of the most political justices in the history of this republic would not hear the case. So the John Lewis funeral, I only watched a little bit of it. There were an awful lot of people in that church, weren't there, Mr. Producer? So he was able to have a funeral. And he was able to have a funeral with a lot more than 10 people. Why? I know he was a civil rights icon. But somebody's father, somebody's mother, grandfather, grandmother, somebody's child means the world to them. The world to them. But in so many cases, they weren't able to give a proper send-off. Something's wrong. And at this funeral, it turns political. That's what happens. Funerals, when Democrats of great note pass away, they turn political. And they attack Republicans, they attack a sitting Republican president, and they attack the country. Barack Obama is a disgrace. He's also a pathological liar and a demagogue. And he used the occasion of John Lewis's funeral to make some of the most incendiary statements 
of any demagogue in recent history. The man has ice water in his veins. He's always putting on a show. And he's always the main attraction. He can't help it. When we come back, I want you to hear some of this. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom. And freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale's been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, Commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it will continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Barack Obama at the John Lewis funeral today, knowing the spotlight would be on him. And among those in the audience, George W. Bush. Cut one, go. He knew from his own life that progress is fragile. That we have to be vigilant against the darker currents of this country's history. Of our own history. With their whirlpools of violence and hatred and despair. They can always rise again. Bull Connor may be gone. But today, we witness with our own eyes police officers kneeling on the necks of black Americans. Let's stop right there. Have we witnessed police officers in the plural kneeling on the necks of black Americans? Who are all these police officers and who are all these black Americans where police officers are kneeling on the black Americans' necks? Bull Connor? Are you kidding me? There's been no progress since Bull Connor? Really? You have to be the worst kind of demagogue to be talking like this. Go ahead. George Wallace may be gone, but we can witness our federal government sending agents to use tear gas and batons against peaceful demonstrators. So federal agents defending Lafayette Park and really the White House, defending St. John's Church and other buildings, defending a federal courthouse is like George Wallace. Tear gas and batons against peaceful demonstrators? Where, where has this... I know the media keeps pushing this propaganda. That's not what's taking place here. That's not at all what's taking place here. 
There is no sense of propriety, no integrity. There are no limits to the poisonous and cancerous rhetoric of the left today, and that would include Barack Obama, of course. To bring up Bull Connor and George Wallace, even while riots are taking place. And of course, the irony is, who's standing in the school doorway today? It's the Democrat Party and the teachers' union. It's Democrat governors and the teacher union. They're preventing little kids from going to school of every color. They're preventing little kids from going to schools that actually might work, rather than the government facility right down the street. But here we have this president referring to federal law enforcement in the context of George Wallace, just as Nancy Pelosi referred to them as stormtroopers, and Clyburn referred to them as Gestapo, and another congressman referred to them as secret police. So the Democrat Party's all in. All in. For riots and looting. Let's Cut two, go. We may no longer have to guess the number of jelly beans in a jar. Let, let's to... just start. Does this guy sound to you like he's mourning John Lewis, Mr. Producer? Incredible. Go ahead. It's a ballot. But even as we sit here, there are those in power who are doing their darndest to discourage people from voting by closing polling locations and targeting minorities and students with restrictive ID laws and attacking our voting rights with surgical precision, even undermining the Postal Service in the run-up to an election. All right, all right, all right okay, okay. Now we have to take a break. I want to address this afterwards. Because he's getting people all boiled over, very angry. Look at this. They're trying to deny African-American students the right to vote. With surgical precision. There's suppression and oppression going on. They actually want ID laws. I need to address this when when we return. Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom. And freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it will continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. 
Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Conservative voice, The Mark Levin Show. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. What uh, Obama's basically doing is he's using a funeral to advance not a civil rights agenda, not a black agenda, but the Democrat Party agenda. That's no accident. And so you trash America, you reject any progress that America's made, you condemn the voting system, and then you blame the president for threatening to not recognize the results of the election. But let's take this one at the top where we started before the break so I can, I can comment rationally on it. Cut to go. We may no longer have to... Guess the number of jelly beans in a jar. All right, let's, st- let's stop a second. On one of the news channels, Mr. Producer, they just got around to mentioning Herb and Cain's death. It is... Let's see. It is 6.35 p.m. Eastern Time. They didn't lead with it. They had half a dozen other stories. And they just got around to mentioning um, Herman Cain's death. That's how iconic, in many cases, heroic conservatives are treated. I'm just pointing that out. All right, let's start at cut two at the top again. Go ahead. We may no longer have to guess the number of jelly beans in a jar in order to cast a ballot. But even as we sit here, there are those in power who are doing their darndest to discourage people from voting by closing polling locations and targeting minorities and students. All right, let's stop there. I want to address that first. Because Obama is, if he's anything, is, he's not only a good demagogue, he is a moron. You see, ladies and gentlemen... The location of polling places is determined by the county in virtually every state. By county judges and county councils. And so if you're talking about minority voting places, you have to assume that the vast majority of the decision makers deciding on polling locations are minority. So polling locations closed or opened targeting minorities, let's say majority-minority areas, is so irrational, it's absurd. Absurd. Targeting students and the right to vote, I assume that would be in mostly college towns. Again, how many conservative Republican college towns are there? None. So those decisions are again being made 
by the local officials in those communities. Not by the Republican National Committee, not by Donald Trump, not by Republicans, and, and so forth and so on. You see, Obama can twist the phrase, get it out there in three seconds, and it takes me two minutes to unravel what he's done. Continue, please. ID laws. Restrictive, restrictive ID laws. From the man who invented Obamacare, where anytime you see any kind of doctor, they're sitting there with a laptop on their, on their lap, entering all kinds of data about you. All kinds of ID requirements. And by the way, our lives are filled with identification requirements. You can't drive without an ID. You can't buy booze without an ID. You can't buy tobacco products without an ID. By state and federal law. You can't get on an airplane without an ID. You can't get on now an Amtrak train without an ID. Imagine that. You can't get into a government protected facility without an ID unless you're Antifa or Black Lives Matter. And you shoot your way or burn your way in. You can't get in any building where Obama speaks without an ID. You can't get into the Capitol building where your representatives are without an ID. But apparently the hurdle to have that same ID, that very same ID as a condition of voting, so the various poll workers and election judges can look at the ID, look at the photo on the ID, and look at your face and determine if you're the same person. Apparently that's racist. Apparently that's a bridge too far. Apparently that discourages people from voting. It's oppressive and repressive at the same time. Restrictive ID laws. Go ahead. Rights. With surgical precision. Now let's stop. Attacking our voting rights with surgical precision. Who is? Who's attacking our voting rights with surgical precision? Is there any federal court in America that has ruled that that's taking place? And there's Obama judges throughout the judiciary. I'll get to that and what they're doing to Michael Flynn in a moment. But No, there's no surgical attack on voting rights. Go ahead. Even undermining the Postal Service in the run-up to an election. All right, all right. Who, who is undermining the Postal Service? They have their hands out for tens of billions of dollars. Who is undermining the Postal Service? Because they don't get a blank check? You're attacking voting? Go ahead. That's going to be dependent on mail-in ballots. So people don't get sick. Ah, well, now, now he doesn't make any sense. Mr. Producer, he says they're closing polling locations, right, to prevent minorities from voting. Then he says, really, you shouldn't go in person. You got to mail in vote, right, so you don't get sick. Well, which is it, Obama? You never did make a hell of a lot of sense. Bull Connor, George Wallace. Suppressing the vote, targeting black people, 
destroying the voting rights. This is what he says at a funeral. And he's not done. Cut three, go. Once we pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, we should keep marching to make it even better by making sure every American is automatically registered to vote, including former inmates who've earned their second chance. All right, so, so this entire funeral, as far as Obama is concerned, is a, uh, a stage for a dramatic rendering of the far-left Democrat Party agenda. It's not a send-off to a civil rights icon. It's not a unity speech. It's not a speech about faith. It's not a speech that Americans can feel good about, all Americans. It's a community activist speech on the corner in Chicago somewhere. On a soapbox where he's screaming at the top of his lungs and demanding that the radical agenda be adopted. Automatic registration. Former felons should be able to vote. And what I'm trying to tell you is there's no end to their agenda until they have 100% control of the voting system, 100% control of the government. And remember, what the left does is they always accuse Republicans and their other opponents of what it is they intend to do. Go ahead. By adding polling places and expanding... And by the way, this is a funeral where most governors have outlawed funerals like this. There's too many people in a church. But not in this case. It's like the, it's like the uh, mostly peaceful protesters. If you're a mostly peaceful protester, the rules don't apply. If you're a failed former president... But a demagogue, nonetheless, the rules don't apply. Go ahead. And making Election Day a national holiday. So if you are somebody who's working in a factory or you're a single mom who's got to go to her job. Why do they care about any of this anyway? It is they who rely on the mass of bureaucracy. It is they who rely on the federal courts to get their agenda. Woodrow Wilson said as much. Franklin Roosevelt said as much. John Roberts is delivering them everything they want. So they go on and on about voting. But they don't believe in representative government. That's the game of the Marxist. And so you see, there shouldn't be voter ID. There shouldn't be voter ID. There should be automatic registration to vote. Former felons, this is the prior felons to vote. Why is that? Because they're mostly going to vote Democrat, that's why. Shouldn't be photo ID, why? Is that to suppress black people? No. It's to make it impossible to know if you have a, uh, a truthful vote. And in close elections, it becomes a huge problem. Go ahead. Time off. You, you know, with all the national holidays they want and all the time off they want, who the hell's going to have time to work, Mr. Producer? You're going to have child care, senior care, free education, free health care, open borders, I guess three or four federal holidays additional that I count so far, time off for elections, 
months and months off if you have a baby. Months and months off if somebody you know has a baby. Wow. It's fascinating, isn't it? Who the hell's going to pay the bills? Those damn Republicans who are out to screw everybody. They'll pay the bills. Go ahead. By guaranteeing that every American citizen has equal representation in our government, including the American citizens who live in Washington, D.C. and in Puerto Rico. They're Americans. Whatever the Democrat agenda is, Obama wants. And he's just laid out an agenda that will make it impossible for a Republican to win the presidency ever again. Ever again. And remember, on top of that, they want to get rid of the Electoral College. Cut four, go. By ending some of the partisan gerrymandering so that all voters have the power to choose their politicians, not the other way around. And if all this takes eliminating the filibuster, another Jim Crow relic. I love it. He's hoping Biden wins, they take the Senate, they take the House, they eliminate the filibuster, they load up the courts, they change the government, they change society forever. That's why they want to get rid of the filibuster. The filibuster has nothing to do with Jim Crow. The filibuster came long, the guy's a moron. It came long before Jim Crow, the Democrat Party's Jim Crow. The filibuster is uh, one of the rules that was in place to ensure that the minority not racial, not ethnic, not religious, but a minority in the Senate could slow things down. We don't want a pure democracy. We don't want a mobocracy. You know what would happen if we had a pure democracy throughout our history? Blacks would have no representation. Latinos would have no representation. Gay people would have no representation. Moreover, If we don't have a filibuster rule, and I happen to support it, I don't always like it when it's used, but if we don't have it, then you have what the framers talked about, a a temporary faction who take control forever. Forever. So what Obama is laying out here is an agenda for the Democrat Party wrapped in populism that would ensure that forevermore the Democrat Party would hold power. It's not a moral agenda. It's not even a voting agenda. It has nothing to do with race. It's pure power. And this is what he does at a funeral. You don't hear funerals of prominent Republicans who pass. First of all, you rarely hear them at all. But you don't. Somebody getting up and ticking off point by point the Republican agenda. Tax cuts, limited regulations, secure the board. doesn't happen. So what the Democrats do, particularly the radicals and the Marxists and the Obamas do, is they wrap righteousness, morality, humanity in their radical agenda. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. 
Hillsdale has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Obama, Obama's uh, speech during the uh, John Lewis funeral demonstrated is he's always hated America, even though America has been good to Obama. He's become president. He's become enormously wealthy, enormously famous, lives better than any king or queen a hundred years ago. He still hates America. So Barack Obama gave a speech. You know, it's funny, you hear the left say uh, Obama, uh, excuse me, the president, Donald Trump, he sounds like Vladimir Putin. This is a speech Vladimir Putin could have given. Trashing America, Bull Connor, George Wallace, you don't have the right to vote, discriminate against minorities. Um, This is the kind of speech that Vladimir Putin could have given about America at the John Lewis funeral. Gerrymandering. He's worried about gerrymandering. Well, how would they how would they set these districts? Well, you know, experts would do it. Oh, I see. Jim Crow, he says, a relic of excuse me, filibuster, the relic of Jim Crow. The filibuster predates Jim Crow by over a hundred years. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I know I'll mispronounce this gentleman's name just because I'm not familiar with it, but Tony Ducoupil, D-O-K-O-U-P-I-L, on CBS Weekend News. And um, they took a look at the experiment of mail-in voting, which Obama and the Democrats desperately want. And look, the reason is, let's be honest, they're better at propaganda and demagoguery than Republicans. And why wouldn't they be? They control the media. They control the culture. They control the streets. And so chaos is their friend. Anarchy is their friend. And out of that, they believe, will come their power. So they either want to win the election outright or they want to steal it. 
Let's be honest. That's what all this mail-in voting is all about. They want the power. Remember what I said. It's about the Democrat Party in power, never about America. You know, during the break, I'm thinking about what Obama said. He's one of the great demagogues in modern history. Up there with Mao and Stalin and Castro and Chavez, this is what they do. You want to know why America is so divided today? It's Obama. It's his Democrat Party. This is his legacy. He didn't talk about opportunities, freedom, like no other country in the face of the earth. A diverse people who almost always get along, certainly more than any other country in the face of the earth. It's not a Reagan-esque speech about a shining city on a hill. Very negative, just very destructive is the former community organizer. All right, I want to get to this piece, CBS Weekend News. And this isn't the only example of the disaster that is mail-in voting, how it will lead to litigation, how you're going to find piles and piles, hundreds of thousands of votes, legitimate or illegitimate, weeks later, calling into question the presidency. And if the the Democrats win, it'll be over. Because guys like Mitch McConnell and all the rest of them it's over. They're not going to keep, keep going at it. But for the Democrats, if they lose, they win. They will call in doubt a Trump win. Particularly if it's close. And it may well be close. You know, he wins Michigan by a little over 10,000 votes, that sort of thing. So they're setting the stage. And this mail-in voting stuff started as a result of the coronavirus. It was an opportunity. They didn't talk much about it before the virus, did they, Mr. Producer? All of a sudden, because they're always scheming, it comes up as a necessity. So how's it working? Well, here's the report from CBS News. Cut 12, go. If you know how to mail a letter, you already know how to mail in your vote. How you doing? Thank you very much. But how long might it take for that vote to actually arrive and be counted? Have a good afternoon. We decided to test it, sending 100 mock ballots simulating 100 voters from locations all across Philadelphia to a P.O. box we set up to represent a local election office. A couple days later, we mailed 100 more using the same size envelopes and the same class of mail as real ballots here. To approximate the weight, we even folded mock votes into every one. In the following week, we checked our P.O. box for the results. Mail pickup notice, there's more. When we went to collect everything, though, most of our votes seemed to be lost. That's all I have back there right now. had to ask for a manager and explain ourselves before someone finally found our votes. We soon discovered another problem, missorted mail, two pieces of it. We got a birthday card from Mike to Ronnie. Have a sweet B-Day. Get it? There's a B on top. When the birthday greetings ended, 12, 13, we found a bigger issue. 21% of our votes hadn't materialized after four days. And the batch we'd mailed a week prior, some of those were missing too. So of our 100 ballots, 97 arrived, which sounds pretty good. 
Unless you consider the fact that that means three people who tried to vote by mail in our mock election were in fact disenfranchised by mail. In a close election, 3% could be pivotal. Now let's stop right there. 3%. Okay, that's like a uh, 51 to 48% election. So that's everything. Because most elections these days are, are of that sort. They're not blowouts. And so that margin of error is a margin that matters. That matters. And it can be even closer in some states. We remember that. You had states 49, 48.6%. And so it will matter. So why are the Democrats pushing this? Well, they intend to litigate. And if they lose, they intend to denounce the election. If Donald Trump wins, they will move on impeachment. They will move on a coup. That's what they plan. They're not going to give up. And we must be resolute in the face of that. It's so obvious. It's all laid out in front of us. Go ahead. A record year for mail-in voting. We're going to see somewhere between probably 80 and 100 million voters um, receiving their ballot that way. So let's stop. 100 million. 3% of 100 million missing. That's 3 million votes. That's a lot of votes, Mr. Producer. And that affects Senate races and House races and... If you have races in the states, state races, that's a lot of votes, folks. Go ahead. There return ballots at least one week prior to the due date, but nearly half of all states still allow voters to request ballots less than a week before the election. In other words, these votes are going to start showing up two, three, four weeks later. And this doesn't even include outright fraud, where people are printing ballots where people are taking ballots out of people's mailboxes, nursing homes. You can see the potential for massive fraud. You can see other forms of incompetent. Mr. Producer, in the last election, got a ballot at his old address and a ballot at his new address. Right, Rich? So it doesn't even take into consideration the failures of the post office. What about the failures of the registration office or the Secretary of State's office? And what about the outright fraud? So we're talking about more than 3 million out of 100 million. We could be talking about 6, 7, 8 million out of 100 million. This is no joke. Go ahead. Forgive the public for being a tad confused. How long do you think the post office recommends? About three days, two to three days. They're saying at least a week. A week? They're saying at least a week for your vote. I just don't trust the mail. That's true. You don't trust the mail either? Well, I just don't. I would like to give, especially during COVID, give them ample time to deliver it. I don't trust it. Why not? I don't know. I'm scared that it might get lost in the mail. I just want to make sure that my vote is submitted. Like, mm-hmm. I see that it's submitted, that it actually counts. So, so this, is, this is a disaster in a thousand different ways. The Democrats are pushing it hard. And they're claiming it is a civil right. And they're also claiming that the Republicans are trying to suppress the vote. They want chaos. They do not want an election that is legitimate. They will declare victory whether they win or lose. They want things boggled up in court, bottled up in court, I should say. 
And if it gets to the court and Trump wins, they'll say he's illegitimate like they did with Bush in Bush versus Gore. And if Biden wins, of course, they'll say that his election was sanctified by the almighty Supreme Court. We have to vote in such large numbers. We have to try to really blow out the other party, particularly these battleground states. Will that happen? I don't know. But we need a fraud cushion. We need a post office cushion, if you know what I mean. Because the Democrats don't want every legitimate vote to count. They just want every one of their votes to count, whether they're legitimate or not. This is a big story by CBS News. Other than on talk radio, have you heard much about it? You haven't heard anything about it. It's like this hydrochloroquine. Can't talk about that, and you can't talk about the fraud behind the mail-in voting. And if you talk about either of them, you're either a kook or a racist. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this Obama speech really has me furious. And so I want to educate Obama about America and Americans. I want to educate him. We Americans send hundreds of thousands of our men overseas to defeat Adolf Hitler in the Third Reich. And we fought on islands in the Pacific to defeat the Japanese led by Tojo after they attacked Pearl Harbor. And we went into Italy to defeat the fascist Mussolini and his forces. We freed tens of thousands of of Jews and others from death camps. We lost over 400,000 men and women in World War II. Did we do that because we believe in segregation? 
Were all those men and women part of a systemically racist country? 700,000 men lost their lives in the Civil War. At least half of them fought on the Union side against the Confederacy and against slavery. The equivalent of about 4 million today. Were they systemically racist? Don't they deserve a little bit of credit? Apparently not. Over 40,000 men lost their lives in the Korean War trying to protect a free people from a Stalinist regime. The war was basically a draw. The people on whose behalf we fought live free and are prosperous. Those in the north are brutalized and murdered and starved on a massive scale. Don't we deserve a little bit of credit? This country is a magnificent country. And the person who should know that the most is Barack Obama. Barack Obama didn't have to work too hard to become a United States Senator. He didn't have to work too hard two years later to become President of the United States. He didn't have to work that hard to become a multi-millionaire, probably worth a couple hundred million dollars after he left the presidency. Rather than use his post-presidential position as a positive voice about this country, hard work, family, faith, and opportunity, he talks about Bull Connor and George Wallace. Despite the fact that we have civil rights offices from one end of this country to another, local, state, and federal, to ensure to ensure the right to vote, any effort to clean up the rolls, any effort to ensure that the people who are voting are supposed to be voting, having nothing to do with race whatsoever, is used as a rallying cry of racism. Of racism. You look around this country. So much is taken for granted. Even in the poorer parts of our country. Whether they be in Appalachia. Whether they be in the inner cities. Or wherever they be. If you're a desperately poor person. In most countries of the rest of the world, you will remain a desperately poor person. Your family will remain desperately poor. You will not have the opportunity to take advantages of opportunities. Because there are no opportunities. This country is filled with people who were once poor who are not poor anymore. Of course there are still poor people in this country. There have been poor people since the beginning of mankind. But it's not simply a matter of the system 
sometimes it's a matter of the individuals. Not always, but sometimes. It's not about a better program or more funding. Certainly not all the time. This is a remarkable country. A truly remarkable country. After John Lewis and the other civil rights greats led a a movement and accomplished so much. In other countries, John Lewis would have been beaten to death and never heard of him again. You wouldn't know who Rosa Parks is. Because they'd be broomed from society. They'd be eliminated. They wouldn't be honored. They'd be not even a footnote to history. It would be as if they never existed. You can't have a John Lewis in communist China. You can't have a John Lewis in fascistic Russia. You can't have a John Lewis in Islamo-Nazi Iran. You can't have a John Lewis in these places. Why? Because in the end, America honors people who fight for liberty. Whereas other societies bury them without notice. Never to be heard of or seen again. I'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. You're listening to Denali, the great one. The great one. And you can call in now, 877-381-3811. It's a very courageous, really very smart fella who is a Democrat, in the Georgia legislature by the name of Vernon Jones, who supports Donald Trump. And you're not allowed to do that, are you, sir? Well, no, I'm not, at least by the liberals and the liberal media, I'm not. But anyhow, it's an honor to be with the great one. I've always uh, admired you, and so thank you so much. I'm humbled to be on your show to talk with you and your listeners. Well, it is a great honor, and I want to thank you because... You know, Vernon, I've seen this happen over and over again, where you have an African-American woman or man, Democrat, but not a radical, crazy Democrat, you know, like so many white liberals, if you understand what I'm saying. And, and they come on and they'll say things that might be supportive of capitalism, might be supportive of the Constitution, God forbid, might be supportive of a Republican, and they're trashed like hell, and they're smeared by their own party and their own people. That's what you're facing now, isn't it? Sure it is. Mark, as a matter of fact, it's really voter suppression through intimidation. 
if an African American with independent thoughts and, and independent or with conservative leanings, the liberal part of the Democratic Party do not want that to be stated. You know, we're not welcome. We don't share their values, they say. Uh, and your character assassinate, and that's why so many African Americans who feel like I feel are afraid to say anything because they don't want to be called sellouts because the liberals will send their agent provocateurs out there to, again, to assassinate their character and, and just to tear them down. And it's unfortunate. Uh, black people have always been conservative. Uh, black people want safe neighborhoods. Black people mm-hmm. believe in capitalism. But the the liberal Democrats have literally uh, uh, undermined them and literally manipulated them to believe in that they're there for their cause. But they are not. It's actually the opposite. So there's, there's far more bigotry in the Democratic Party than there is in the Republican Party. Uh, matter of fact, they have mastered it over the past 50 years. Mm-hmm. I want to play, of course you lived it, but for the audience in context, this guy Craig Melvin, a supposed journalist and host at MSNBC yesterday, and this back and forth, and I want you to comment on this because he cut you off. I have a hell of a lot more listeners than he has viewers, and I want you to be able to respond to this. Cut 13, go. If you look at the unemployment among African Americans during his years and during Obama years, clearly it was much better. If you look at opportunity zone districts, if you look at support and financial support to historical colleges, clearly it's better off under his administration than the previous administration. So, yeah, I don't want to get in caught into politics just because I'm a Democrat. If my party feels though. I like to traffic in facts, and, and much of what you just said well, is patently false. But I, I do want to. Well, this is, no, no, Representative Jones, this is my show. I'll ask questions. Give me a well, second. You had me on your show. I, so I know, but, I, but I, don't no, cut me off. I'm, when not, I'm, I'm not cutting you off, but I do want to. Are you a, are you a paid campaign surrogate? Are you being compensated? Never by the, Let me be clear. You get paid to shape a liberal narrative. You get paid to attack this president. I don't get a dime for this president. I don't get a dime from the campaign. Everything I've done is in me and based on my principles. And see, that's the problem. When an African American that's elected, I I did not raise your basis. Let me finish. Let me finish. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not going to imply that I asked that question because you're black. So don't ask me that. You only ask me that because I don't fit your narrative. Man, you kicked him around, Vernon Jones, but he was hostile from the get-go, wasn't he? He wouldn't let you. He'd ask a question. It was like the House Democrats of the Judiciary Committee with the Attorney General. They ask you. They interrupt you. Was that not the most repulsive question? Are you a paid campaign surrogate? Well, Mark, that shows the bigotry. That shows right there that that network, his bosses, wanted him, they wanted to use an African-American against an African-American. That's what they do. That was one of their agent provocateurs, so the bigotry won't be on their hands. And I flipped it around because he actually is the one that's being paid. He is the sellout, <laughs> not me. And so what I, I, I am smart enough, and the black community is smart enough, that we can make an intelligent decision based on principles and based on positions and based on whether or not we're benefiting from this particular uh, officer, but, but Mark, the slap in the face is they think that they can think for us. They have a captive audience. They don't think they have to earn that black vote, that it should automatically be there. Joe Biden made it clear. If you don't vote for him, you ain't black. 
Mm-hmm. Now, Mark, you and I know ain't is some jab talk where he's trying to put that in there. That was offensive to me. Mm-hmm. All right, first thing. Secondly, I am black, but I ain't voting for Joe Biden. <laughs> and, and that's their narrative. That's what they do. Now, they don't ask white who are on there defending Joe Biden, are you being paid? Mm-hmm. They, don't, they do not ask, ask blacks who are on their shows who are defending Joe Biden, are they being paid? It's only blacks. You know, you remember the great Zell Miller, conservative oh, yeah. Democrat. When Zell came out to support George W. Bush's campaign, and then he also spoke at the Republican convention, not a word from Democrats, not a single word. But when I come out and other African-Americans who can come out and think independently and say, oh, I'm going to vote for this candidate. Uh, we put our country before our party. So I'm going to vote for somebody who happens to be a Republican. Then we get the backlash. We don't share their values. See, that's the victory right there. When we've had former congressmen who were conservative Democrats, they got free passes to vote against Obama and do anything else. But if I do it, mm-hmm. then I'm a sellout. I don't, I don't fit in there. That, that tent of diversity is not there for independent thinking conservative-leaning black men and women. And so, Mark, you see it. I see it. The American people mm-hmm. see it. But I'm just not afraid, and they're not going to – what they do is they get you, Mark, they'll get one of the agent provocateurs to call you out, to run you back on the plantation so you won't be free. But I've turned that light out. I've given them that sweet, and they can have that damn plantation. I really admire you. I really admire you, and, and I appreciate it. I want to play you one more clip. This is Obama at the John Lewis funeral service today. Now, I don't know about you, sir, but there's very few funerals I've spoken at, my parents and so forth, and I'm not talking politics. I'm talking about God, faith, the life that my family members have led, and so I'm not talking about the Republican agenda. Listen to this. Cut one, go. He knew from his own life that progress is fragile, that we have to be vigilant, against the darker currents of this country's history, of our own history, with their whirlpools of violence and hatred and despair that can always rise again. Bull Connor may be gone, but today we witness with our own eyes police officers kneeling on the necks of black Americans. George Wallace may be gone, But we can witness our federal government sending agents to use tear gas and batons against peaceful demonstrators. You you know, Vernon Jones, it's that last part there where he's comparing the uh, U.S. Marshals and others who are trying to defend a federal courthouse from rioters and Marxists and, and militia types on the left. Uh, who are being injured. Um, They're trying to protect a federal courthouse that houses judges and so forth. And he brings up George Wallace and uh, tear gas and batons against peaceful demonstrators. For the most part, that's not what's happening. But but my, my whole point, this is a funeral. And why not talk about the opportunities in America that, that you should take advantage of liberty? That we should uh, that we should uh, treat one another as human beings. Why not be positive? Why not be uniting? Why not be all those things? Mark, my stomach turned when he said that, uh, especially when he talked about someone's neck 
someone's foot on someone's neck or knee on someone's neck. If he wanted to go that way, he should have talked about the one-year-old, the three-year-old, the 14-year-old, the 16-year-old black children being shot and killed almost weekly. He didn't talk about them. He didn't talk about using federal agents to protect him in the White House. These federal agents are there protecting federal property. And you know what? Protecting people's lives as well in the process. But what you have, he took a funeral dealing with John Lewis. He should have said, let me tell you about Vernon Jones. Let me tell you about Obama. Because of what John Lewis did, open your doors for voters' rights. Open the doors for every American to have access uh, to exercise their constitutional amendments. That's, that's what John, John Lewis fought for, not to get in and make his funeral a political uh, event. Even the pastor, Warnock, he's run for the United States Senate. Well, if you listen to the tone and some of his information or some of his words, it has a political overtone to it. So let's not politicalize funerals. The gentleman who, or the, the individual who, who killed that young man, George Floyd, he's in jail. His day in court is coming. That does not justify all of the killings. More lives have been killed since George Floyd through this so-called Black Lives Movement than prior to it. And so that's another thing. You see these left groups have infiltrated Black Lives Matter, and Black Lives Matter doesn't matter when it comes to all black lives, period. I should say lives, period. So they pick and choose, but they have a whole new different Marxist socialist agenda. But this country is going so far left by those individuals until I can't stomach and many others can't stomach it anymore. That's why I am vocal. Even when it comes to freedom of expression, if you wear a MAGA hat now, you can be attacked. If you're mm-hmm. a black man, you hold up a sign saying I'm from Trump, then you're shot down and killed, and nobody mm-hmm. wants to talk about it. But if it had been reversed, a Joe Biden person holding a sign, oh, they would be blaming Donald Trump for it. And so that rhetoric is what I don't like. Let's come together, unify on what makes sense, and get this country back healthy again. And when I look at these Democratic mayors of these cities, because they cannot, and the Democratic Party cannot, nor Joe Biden can beat President Trump on his record, they decided, oh, we will allow chaos and rioting and burning and looting and killing in these cities, and we won't even ask the federal government to assist us with federal agents, not federal troops, federal agents. Federal, our troops come from National Guard. The state, the governors do that. But federal agents, the, uh, the DEA, FBI, Marsh, U.S. Marshals, to come in and try to restore peace and save people's businesses and their lives. When they allow individuals to come in and take over city blocks, when someone is shot, they don't even allow the police to come in or, 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 or paramedics to come in. What, what, kind of, what, what do you call that? Portland, 59 days of nonstop mm-hmm. rioting, not protesting. I believe in protesting, so do you, but peacefully. Mm-hmm. Dr. King didn't call for that type of protest because, again, that's a riot, peaceful protest. So I tell you, with Antifa and George Zorch and all those groups, um, we have got to hold them accountable, and the Democratic Party has yet to call them out, and that's despicable. Let, let, let me say this as we leave here. I know there's a Senate race going on. There'll be one after that. You would be a tremendous senator, a tr- and your party's not going to nominate you. For all the talk 
about minority rights and so forth. There are two black senators in the Democrat side in the United States Senate. Two. Out of what? 50, 48, 47, whatever it is. You would be a superb, you don't need to answer me now. You'd be a superb senator. You'd be a superb Republican senator. Because I listen to you. I think about Lincoln. I think about Ulysses S. Grant. I think about Eisenhower and what he did to support the civil rights movement. You remind me of that. And I want to thank you for everything you're doing, and God bless you. Well, Mark, thank you. But let me tell you, to show you again the bigotry, when I ran for United States Senate in 2008, clearly I was most qualified. Um, But, you know, Harry Reid and Chuck Schumer, none of them wanted me. I won the most votes in the primary. I think I got 44%. The closest person got, uh, what, 32%. We were in a runoff. The DNC and the state Democratic Party, they worked against me, mm-hmm. and they did everything to keep me from getting elected because of my conservative leanings. But they did not want an African-American black man like me being conservative. Now, white Democrats, fine, but a black mm-hmm. like me, because they feel as though if I get elected, then I'm not on their agenda, but also white Democrats feel like, oh, their jobs are going to be lost now because they only want us to vote for them, Mark. They don't want to vote for us. Let let me just say this because I have to go hard break. In the right cycle, it's not this one, obviously, but perhaps the next one, you're not going to be a senator from the Democrat Party. They're not going to allow it. They're not going to allow a man like you with your views uh, to become a senator. So if you do become a senator and you run in the other party, I want you to let me know because I want to support you. All right? Well, thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. And my uh, Twitter is Rep. Vernon Jones. So thank you so much. And I am uh, I learned so much from you. You're you're a major contribution to this country. Keep keep the faith and keep giving information, educating people on what's really happening. Thank you so much. Now. Thank you, sir. And God bless. Take care of yourself. I'll be right back. Love in. Here's the thing about home security companies. Most trap you with high prices, tricky contracts, and lousy customer support. So while there are a lot of options out there, there's only one no-brainer, Simply Safe. Simply Safe's got everything you need to protect your home with none of the drawbacks of traditional home security. It's got an arsenal of sensors and cameras to blanket every room, window, and door tailored specifically for your home. Professional monitoring keeps watch day and night ready to send police, fire, or medical professionals if there's an emergency. So you can set it up yourself in under an hour. Just peel and stick the sensors exactly where you need them. No technician required. And there's no contract, no pushy sales guy, no hidden fees, no fine print. All this starts at just $15 a month. Try Simply Safe today at simplysafemark.com. Simplysafemark.com. There's nothing to lose. You get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. SimplySafeMark.com. By the way, I forgot to tell you, I will be on Hannity tonight on Fox at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Hannity. If you can't watch it live, I hope you'll DVR it. Uh, I believe the subject is Obama's speech at the John Lewis funeral. If I were you, I wouldn't want to miss it. I know I can't miss it. (laughs) By the way, Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning 
character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character, to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its free online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. Now, this learning includes the Constitution, includes the laws of nature and nature's God, as described in the Declaration of Independence that we celebrate every 4th of July. It includes America's great heritage of liberty that too often today is falsely derived or denied. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more at levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. Don't forget, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. I'll be on Hannity on Fox, live and national. You can DVR it if you want. Sparks are going to fly. That I can assure you. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, What else did Obama fail to say at the funeral today? He forgot to mention. He forgot to mention. He mentions Bill Connor and George Wallace. Bull Connor failed to mention his friend Robert Byrd, a former Klansman. He failed to mention that his vice president, Joe Biden, was friends with white southern uh, segregationists like John Eastland. John Stennis, and other Dixiecrats. He was proud of working with them. Obama forgot to mention all that. He forgot to mention that the man standing there, Bill Clinton, one of his great friends, Fulbright, William Fulbright, a segregationist and mentor, to, uh, to Bill Clinton. He didn't mention that. Why not? What else didn't he mention? He didn't say a word against rioting or arson, weapons of death being used by Antifa and Black Lives Matter. Not a word against the lawlessness and mob rule 
Not a word about the nuclear family, personal responsibility and opportunity. Not a single uplifting word about the country that made him president of the United States and made him a fortune. Or the federal officials who protect him and his family. Nothing. He didn't read from the Statue of Liberty. He didn't read from the Constitution. He didn't read much. A little, but not much from the Declaration of Independence. He didn't say anything about Lincoln's second inaugural address. I can tell you what Lincoln did for black Americans. I can tell you what Ulysses S. Grant did for black Americans. I can tell you what Woodrow Wilson did to black Americans. I can tell you what Dwight Eisenhower did with the 1957 Civil Rights Act to help black Americans and the use of the military to open those schoolhouse doors that the unions are closing today. I can even tell you what Lyndon Johnson did. I can tell you what President Donald Trump has done. I can't tell you a damn thing that Barack Obama's done other than try and destroy school choice to prevent little black kids from going to better schools in Washington, D.C. I know he did that. Barack Obama's no champion of civil rights. He's no champion of the black community. He's a left-wing ideologue and mostly a failed president who's done enormous damage to this country and continues to do so. That's who Barack Obama is. Still is. Really quite appalling, I would say. Now we know by now that the second quarter gross domestic product dropped significantly over 30% compared with last year this time. And it's amazing to watch the propaganda mill that we call the media in this country operate. First of all, the president didn't close a single restaurant, a single bar, a single gym, or anything. You might recall the governors like Cuomo talked about federalism. The president can't tell them what to do. Remember all that, Mr. Producer? The president's encouraging them now to open. Again, they say, you can't tell us what to do. You can't tell us what to do. Meanwhile, they say that the president should have done more to close the economy. Moreover, if he had solved the problem of the virus early on, we wouldn't have had to close the economy. So this is where you get the insanity, the stupidity, I'll coin a word, the crack pottery of the left. We know what Joe Biden did during the swine flu. Nothing effective. So we know the second quarter dropped significantly. And the headlines have been used to attack the president. Now we know what the president's capable of doing with the economy. We had an explosive growth in this economy. We had more employment 
in minority communities than Barack Obama could have ever demagogued about. And we had employment across the board, all communities, all sexes, all people who do weird things when it comes to sex. The whole panoply of human beings and human behavior was covered. And then we were stricken by this pandemic. So I kind of look at it this way. I'm hoping that there's enough Americans who still use their head to think. I'm hoping there's enough Americans who understand that much of what's gone on in this country wasn't created by the president, but the president has done a hell of a job to try and wrestle it to the ground, whether it's the pandemic and the riots and so forth against either a Democrat party rooting against him or acting against him. Rooting against him or acting against him. Now, I want to talk again about this hydroxychloroquine. Now, you might say, Mark, you're obsessed with... No, ladies and gentlemen, there's only a handful of us who have a media platform where this can be discussed because big media is censoring all this. Big internet, big tech, is censoring all this. So if I don't post it on Levin TV or Blaze TV and I don't talk about it, it's not going to get talked about. There was a piece in Newsweek. And I actually want to take some time and read this to you. I want to take some time and read this to you. I don't know, Mr. Producer, can we take an early break now so I have enough of a segment to discuss this or no? Oh, uh, we have a guest. Of, I'll tell you what, I'm going to read this after the bottom of the hour because we have a special guest on, Secretary of HUD, Ben Carson, and I want to discuss what he and the president have done to protect the suburbs, the media reporting on this, and what Joe Biden plans to do with the suburbs. As you know, we have spent a great deal of time talking about this on the radio, talking about it on TV. You should see the headlines. It's that the president and the secretary support segregation. They oppose diversity in the suburbs. Now, how ridiculous is that? They're enforcing the Fair Housing Act. They're enforcing the Fair Housing Act. Whereas the other effort, Obama and then uh, Biden, even more so, it's not about enforcing the Fair Housing Act. It's about taking federal control over the suburbs, eliminating, in many cases, single-family housing and controlling where schools are built and transportation hubs and all the rest of it, as we've discussed at some length. So I'm going to take a break now, and uh, Secretary Carson is scheduled to appear when I return. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. 
And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Well, it's a pleasure to have HUD Secretary Ben Carson on the program. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Good to be back with you. Well, it's a pleasure. You know, every five years come hell or high water there, Ben. uh, (laughs) No, I'm just kidding you. Um, Well, you did something, I think, very, very important and uh, forward-looking the other day. And that is you took this, this HUD rule that really began in 2015 or thereabouts near the end of the Obama second term, uh, and you put it back in the box. Do you want to explain to the audience what was this rule and what would it have done? Well, in 1968, the Fair Housing Act was passed, and part of that was a phrase, affirmatively furthering fair housing. And it just said that uh, those individuals uh, receiving funding from HUD had to Affirmably further fair. Let me, let me ask a technical question. Mr. Producer, is the volume high enough? Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Okay. So uh, it, it sort of sat there uh, for a long time, and in 2015, the previous administration said, let's interpret this rule. So they interpreted it to, in a very complex way uh, to impact not only housing, but roadways and schools and grocery stores and everything imaginable. And it was very complex. And in order to receive your funding, uh, you would have to fill out this uh, form frequently, 200 pages. Uh, most municipalities just didn't have the ability to do it. The first tranche of applications that came through, barely a third of them were even able to get through. Others required significant technical assistance, and some just couldn't make it even with that. And we said, no, we can't do this. So we sort of stopped the assessment tool, which just basically created a board with pink dots and blue dots and red dots and black dots, and you move some of the blue ones here and the red ones here. And it was ineffective. municipalities were calling in like crazy saying, this is crazy. We can't do this. We can't afford to do this. We're not going to get our funding. Uh, So we we tried uh, making it a little simpler, but the complaints were still coming in. And and we just finally said, you know, let's take this thing down and do something reasonable. Because our country was founded on principles of federalism local control. Mm -hmm. And we already had mechanisms in place uh, to deal with housing discrimination. We we had our Office of uh, Fair Housing and and Equal Opportunity and the Fair Housing uh, Assistance Programs that worked with uh, local uh, enforcement uh, agencies. So uh, we were on that job. And in fact, between January of 2017 and currently, you know, we have taken care of a backlog 
of 22,933 fair housing cases. Uh, in addition to pursuing the new cases, 26% faster than they had been pursuing before. So that's why we decided to take that down. Now, a lot of people have said that this is discriminatory. Uh, you know, it's a way to keep the suburbs lily white, all this garbage. But what they don't know is, you know, there's a Brookings study that looked at the demographics of uh, suburbs in 100 largest municipalities, and they're 35% minorities, mm -hmm. uh, very similar to the general population. And uh, in some of the uh, municipalities, you take uh, Las Vegas, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., Houston, it's more than 50% uh, minorities. So, you know, that the, the facts get in the way of that argument. And uh, what we're trying to do is basically allow various people to have some control. People in the local region who are accountable to the vote, voters uh, have a much better sense of what they need to do in order to comply with affirmatively furthering fair housing uh, than a bunch of bureaucrats sitting in Washington, D.C. And yet, Mr. Secretary, the Democrat Party wants a bunch of bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. to do exactly this. It's part of the Biden policy agenda, and uh, they would also threaten to cut off housing funds and road funds to suburbs that don't fill out those onerous forms you're talking about, and then they review the forms and don't comply with some social engineering model that they have in mind. That's, yeah. uh, that's problematic, isn't it? It, it? It's very problematic when you consider how this country was formed. I mean, it was supposed to be up for and by the people, not up for and by the government. And yet you see forces that are trying to drive us to a government-centric system whereby they control every aspect of your life. And, you know, this has been tried before in lots of different places. You know, the government takes care of you from cradle to grave, makes all the decisions for you. You give them all power. It's called socialism. And uh, it seems to be creeping into our system, and it's going to be incumbent upon the people of the United States to recognize it. And the, the reason it's so important is because the, the media, for the largest part, has forgotten why they are the only business entity in the United States that's protected by the Constitution because they're supposed to disseminate unbiased information to the people so that the people could be able to determine what their will is, and the country is supposed to be run up on that will. But when the media decides that, no, they want to take sides, no, they want to manipulate people, it distorts the whole system, it confuses the system, and you wind up with chaos that we have now. Did you know Herman Cain, sir? I certainly did. Herman was a good friend. I was so. Want, you tell us a little bit about Herman Cain. Well, you know, he was a very smart guy, a very good businessman, of had a, a very quick mind, and uh, I, I think he would have made a good president, quite mm -hmm. frankly. But uh, you know, got caught up in the system and ground up and. You know, he he always seemed like he had a positive attitude. 
You know, he always had a smile, even though he came under vicious and vicious and vicious attack. He didn't seem to let it get him down, did he? No, uh, he he remained optimistic, and he continued to to do a lot of things even you know after uh, all the turmoil that surrounded uh, his campaign. You know, it's 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 very interesting. I just find it fascinating how you know there are elements who just seize upon something and try to destroy individuals. Mm-hmm. I, I remember, for, you know, for me it was. You know, he, he's bought this $31,000 dining room table, which was just a total bunch of crap. Mm-hmm. It's, over a million dollars was spent on that case. <laughs> and, of course, the table was never bought. And the IG did a, a full investigation, concluded there was absolutely no fault whatsoever, and, in fact, complimented us on the fact that we put in financial controls to make sure it didn't happen again, because going back and looking over the multiple secretaries, everybody had violated because it wasn't clear what was mm-hmm. supposed to be done. Well, I want to thank you. You're, you're such a, a rational voice. You're such a uh, – you got, you got a very cool temperament. And you managed to get your message across. And I want to thank you for what you did in this regard, because I know you'll get hammered on Capitol Hill, but it was exactly the right thing to do. Well, I, I hope they do hammer me, because it'll give me an opportunity to explain. Of course, they won't give you a chance to talk. <laughs> no. I'm going to bring a little cardboard cutout and say, look, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm just going to leave this here. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, you take care of yourself. We're going to have you back more often, if you don't mind. All right, I'd love to. All right, and God bless you. It's a good man, Ben Carson. We'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. sure the land of the free and the home of the brave stays that way dial mark levin now at 877-381-3811 josie on the levin app in florida josie go hey mark awesome you're you're the best um i cannot handle this obama evil wicked one i'm sick and tired of him telling us uh everything wrong about our president he needs to go away, and enough is enough. And he should not be talking about... Oh, he's not going anywhere. Trust me. No, no. This, he's, and, uh, he's having too much fun trashing America. Some of my friends have people dying, and they're only allowed 10 people in a funeral. And this mm-hmm. idiot, he had people singing that they don't even allow singing in churches in California. 
it is out of control. The Supreme Court is out of control, and it is time to get them all out. And uh, also, I wanted to give my Easier said than done, I hate to say. But anyway, go ahead. I wanted to give my respect to Herman Cain, awesome, awesome guy, because I remember when I lost a big account with my business here in Pensacola. Mm-hmm. I called him, and I said, I told him what happened, and he goes, Josie, God is going to bless you with a bigger account. And you know what? Herman Cain was correct. Two days later, I got a bigger account than the one I lost because of Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. But I stand as a Latina, legal Latina, for my president in America. These people are destroying this country completely, completely. Yes, they are. I want to thank you very, very much, and God bless you, my friend. You know, Mr. Producer, here's more of what Barack Obama could have said today. We've made great progress in this country since before the Civil War and since the Civil War. The 13th, 14th, 15th Amendments to the Constitution, the Civil War Amendments, the Civil Rights Act of 1866, the Civil Rights Act of 1871, the Civil Rights Act of 1875, the Civil Rights Act of 1957, the Civil Rights Act of 1960, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Civil Rights Act of 1965, the Civil Rights Act of 1968. The Civil Rights Act of 1990 and the Civil Rights Act of 1991. Does that sound like a country that's not progressing, Mr. Producer? Meanwhile, Obama slobbered all over Robert Byrd after he passed away, remember? Another one of those famous Obama speeches. How come he didn't give the same speech in Georgia? That he gave for Robert Byrd. No, no, that ain't going to happen. And then he picks Biden is his running mate. Biden bragged about how he worked with white southern segregationists. Like Eastland and Stennis. Incredible. Nothing. Just, uh, it's just appalling. Who's the next caller, Mr. Producer? Yes. 870, the great KRLA, where we are live and national. Who is it, Lee? Yes, hi, Mark. How are you, Lee? Okay. Um, you know, I, I listened to the to these excerpts you had from Obama and demagogues. There are two O words in terms that these people use all the time. First of all, what you what you described about the advances in in civil liberties just now. The United States is a land of opportunity. It always has been. It's it's gotten better as we have aged. As the country has aged, it goes mm-hmm. forward. But Obama and Marxism, Obama demagogue and his fellow demagogues and Marxists, Pelosi et al., uh, they use the word oppression and they over and over, and they're selling oppression to people who are who don't who either don't know any real history or who aren't paying much attention and just getting wrapped up in the emotion. The irony is that. They are used, that that's Obama's opportunity to sell oppression. People, if they vote for for the Democrats, will buy into it. At which point, the people who will really have the opportunity to oppress the the population of the country are the demo, are the Democrats or the mm-hmm. demagogues. It's a no, circle. It's a vicious exactly circle. right. No, you're exactly right. You know, very, uh, 
you got to really pay attention. You got to really pay attention. All right, my friend. We appreciate it. Keep going, Mr. Producer. Oh, oh, I wanted to get to the Newsweek article. Thank you for reminding me. Hold on, let me find it. Very important. If I don't do it, it ain't going to get done. I'm looking, ladies and gentlemen. What the hell did I do with it? Here it is. I've got it. This is very important. And it's amazing that Dr. Fauci won't meet with Dr. Harvey Reich, who's an MD and a PhD. He's the professor of epidemiology at Yale School of Public Health. Not exactly a kook. And he says in Newsweek, I don't know if it's still there or not, but we have it. It's professor of epidemiology at Yale School of Public Health. I've authored over 300 peer-reviewed publications and currently hold senior positions on the editorial boards of several leading journals. I'm usually accustomed to advocating for positions within the mainstream of medicine, so I've been flummoxed to find that in the midst of a crisis, I'm fighting for a treatment that the data fully support. He's talking about hydroxychloroquine but which, for reasons having nothing to do with a correct understanding of the science, has been pushed to the sidelines. As a result, tens of thousands of patients with COVID-19 are dying unnecessarily. Fortunately, the situation could be reversed easily and quickly. I'm referring, of course, to the medication hydroxychloroquine. When this inexpensive oral medication is given very early in the course of illness, before the virus has had time to multiply beyond control, it is shown to be highly effective, especially when given in combination with antibiotics and the nutritional supplement zinc. On May 21, I published an article in the American Journal of Epidemiology. E-P-I-D-E-M-I-O-L-O-G-Y. Entitled, Early Outpatient Treatment of symptomatic high-risk COVID-19 patients that should be ramped up immediately as key to the pandemic crisis. That's the title. That article, published in the world's leading epidemiology journal, analyzed five studies demonstrating clear-cut and significant benefits to treated patients, plus other very large studies that showed the medication's safety. This is why this guy is virtually silenced, and he's pointing to specific studies. Physicians who've been using these medications in the face of widespread skepticism have been truly heroic. They've done what the science shows is best for their patients, often at great personal risk. I myself know of two doctors who've saved the lives of hundreds of patients with these medications, but are now fighting state medical boards to save their licenses and reputations. And I know of one doctor who appeared at that press conference and after that press conference was fired. The cases against them are completely without scientific merit, he writes. Since publication of my May 27 article, seven more studies have demonstrated similar benefit. Joe Scarborough, you're too much of a moron and an illiterate to even bring this guy on and read those studies. In a lengthy follow-up letter also published by AGE, I discuss these seven studies and renew my call for the immediate early use of hydro- hydroxychloroquine in high-risk patients. These seven studies include an additional 400 high-risk patients treated by Dr. Vladimir Zelenko with zero deaths. Four studies totaling almost 500 high-risk patients treated in nursing homes and clinics across America with no deaths. A controlled trial of more than 700 high-risk patients in Brazil with significantly reduced risk of hospitalization and two deaths among 334 patients treated with hydroxychloroquine. 
And another study of 398 matched patients in France also with significantly reduced hospitalization risk. Since my letter was published, even more doctors are reporting to me their completely successful use. My original article in the AJE is available free online. Beyond these studies of individual patients, we've seen what happens in large populations when these drugs are used. These have been natural experiments in the northern Brazil state of Para. COVID-19 deaths were increasing exponentially. On April 6th, the public hospital network purchased 75,000 doses of the, uh, 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 90,000 doses rather, of hydroxychloroquine. Over the next few weeks, authorities began distributing these medications to infected individuals. Even though new cases continued to occur, on May 22, the death rate started to plummet and is now about one-eighth what it was at its peak. A reverse natural experiment happened in Switzerland. On May 27, the Swiss national government banned outpatient use of hydroxychloroquine for COVID-19. Around June 10, COVID-19 deaths increased fourfold and remained elevated. On June 11, the Swiss government revoked the ban. And on June 23, the death rate reverted to what it had been beforehand. People who die from COVID-19 live about three to five weeks from the start of symptoms, which makes the evidence of a casual relation in these experiments strong. So why has it been disregarded as a drug? First of all, the medication has become highly politicized. For many, it is viewed as a marker of political identity on both sides of the political spectrum. Nobody needs me to remind them that this is not how medicine should proceed. We must judge this medication strictly on the science. When doctors graduate from medical school, they formally promise to make the health and life of their patient their first consideration without biases of race, religion, nationality, and social standing, or political affiliation. Lives come first. Second, the drug has not been used properly in many studies. The drug has shown major success when used early in high-risk people. But as one would expert for an antiviral, much less success when used late in the disease course. Even so, it's demonstrated significant benefit in large hospital studies in Michigan and New York City when started within the first 24 and 48 hours after admission. In fact, as inexpensive oral and widely available medications, a nutritional supplement, and the combination of hydroxychloroquine and and other medicines and zinc are well-suited for early treatment in the outpatient setting. Third, concerns have been raised by the FDA and others about risks of cardiac arrhythmia, especially when uh, hydroxychloroquine is given in combination with acetylthiramine. The FDA based its comments on data, its FDA adverse event reporting system. Now, this reporting system captured up to 1,000 cases of arrhythmias attributed to hydroxychloroquine use. In fact, the number is likely higher than that since the reporting system, which requires physicians or patients to initiate contact with the FDA, appreciably undercounts drug side effects. But what the FDA did not announce is that these adverse events were generated from tens of millions of patient uses of the drug for long periods of time, often for chronic treatment of lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, even if the true rates of arrhythmia are tenfold higher than those reported. The harms would be minuscule compared to the mortality occurring right now in inadequately treated high-risk COVID-19 patients. Then he points to an Oxford University study, more than 320,000 older patients. 
who had arrhythmia excess death rates of less than 9 in 100,000 users, which he discusses in the paper. In the future, I believe this misbegotten episode regarding hydroxychloroquine will be studied by sociologists of medicine as a classic example of how extra scientific factors overrode clear-cut medicine and medical evidence. But for now, reality demands a clear scientific eye on the evidence where it points. That's Harvey Risch, MD, PhD, Professor of Epidemiology, Yale School of Public Health. So when Mika Brzezinski, who doesn't even know the elements in water, or oxygen, or her dumb husband, the sack of stupidity who sits next to her, or one Andrea Mitchell, who politicizes everything, including the nation's health, tell you like they're experts, or they bring in Fauci, you know, uh, the science tells us no. Well, this scientist tells us yes. So the answer should be the patient and the patient's doctor get to decide. Not Fauci. Not Fauci. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. All right, people said, Mark, you're killing time. You're killing time. All right, let's take another call, Mr. Producer. I've talked enough. Who do you have there? Who is it? Dave, Huntsville, Alabama, the great WVNN. Dave, go. Yeah, Mark, this is Dave Dunlap. And, uh, yes, it is. I, I want to point out that the, the only people that uh, Barack Obama called out were Democrats, Bull Connor and George Wallace. And he could have listed even more. Uh, James Eastland was the voice of the White South from 42 to 78. Mm-hmm. Stennis was served about 36, 40 years. Long served about that long. And it's all during that time frame that the Great Society programs were implemented. So I hear us talk about the Republicans did such and such. All right, my friend. No, you make a good point. I want to thank you. Thank you for your call, and thank all of you folks. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Thank you all. I will see you on 30 minutes, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, on Hannity on the Fox News Channel. See you then. Take care. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.